everybody, and welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, three games at a time. We play them briefly, we judge them harshly, and we rank them. That's pretty much all you need to know. I am Steampunk Link. I am Emmy Zero. We are here, we are recording from uh, the the post-apocalypse now, I guess. Yep, hold up in our little bunkers and just kind of waiting out the storm. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I can give you a really good deal on hand sanitizer. Only $50 a bottle. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> Folks, I hope you guys are all doing well. Hope you're all washing your hands a lot. Hope you're all staying safe out there and, and taking care of each other as much as you can in these in these uh trying times and who knows by the time this goes up maybe uh everything is back to normal yeah uh i guess you'll see uh this is uh this is a time where i i really hope that the episode ends up sounding incredibly dated by the time it comes out yeah yeah there's a little bit of a lead time on you being able to produce these episodes so fingers crossed that by the time it goes up, none of this is relevant anymore. We can only hope. Another thing, though, that will be relevant, uh, the new Honest Piranha site is up. You can go see our episodes there. You can look at the ranking list on the website as well, so you can follow along. And we even do a cool thing where if you click on an episode on the Honest Piranha website, you can actually see what the list looked like as that episode's games went on to it. So you can actually follow along. If this is your first episode, want to go back, see how the list got to be where it is today, you can do that. Very cool. Very exciting. Um, I'm very impressed with the new website. I think it looks great, and I, I'm sure all of you will as well. Yeah, I, I hope so. Just uh, please please don't break it. Please, <laughs> out there, everybody. Please be nice. Please don't break it. We're also going to be, uh, I think we're going to be taking suggestions pretty soon about the list as well. So we're actually going to allow for some listener interaction, let you guys suggest to us either through the website, through our contact form, or you can just drop me a line on Twitter. That works too. But uh, we are going to let people suggest uh, whether or not, you know, they think maybe we got something wrong on our list or make an impassioned plea as to why they think their game should be above some other game and... We will take those arguments into consideration in the future, and maybe maybe we'll actually change things. I, we're not we're not going to promise anything, but we will. Yeah. we will be receptive to impassioned, good arguments. Don't just tell us we're jerks. I'm not going to, you know. Yeah, no, that will no. not convince us. But yeah, if you have a staunch case to make that uh, Home Alone Two deserves to be higher than Phalanx, we'll hear you. And uh, if we think that it's worth reconsidering, we, we are thinking. Uh, about trying to put together uh, kind of some specials where we reevaluate some things based on the the feedback we get uh, and uh, and reexamine the places of things on the list. So uh, we've got nearly 100 games now. It, it seems like some of these games could be due for a reevaluation. So uh, look forward to that, probably. And if you think that, say, like Ultraman deserves to be above Street Fighter 2, then uh, I think that is one of the few cases in which they will actually let you get tested for the coronavirus at this Just point. Go to the hospital, tell them that that's what you think, and uh, they'll, <laughs> they'll get that test right up for you, right there. All right, enough about that. Uh, let's uh, let's actually start talking about some games yeah, today. Yeah, we have a super lineup for you today. <laughs> we do. Everything is super today. Super, super, super. I am not super excited to talk about most of these, but I am kind of excited to talk about the history of a lot of these though so yeah. there's, there's that yeah uh, me too me too for sure all right well without further ado let's get into our first super game
it is Super Double Dragon. It is the fourth Double Dragon on Nintendo systems anyway. So, I mean, I guess I guess you could say this is maybe Super Double Dragon 4. Sure. Yeah, uh, that maybe would have been uh, an even better title for this than, than what they gave us. But uh, uh, as we'll discuss, this game does kind of do what it has to and not a whole lot else. So, hey, it's Double Dragon. It's on the Super Nintendo. It's Super Double Dragon. Yep, it sure is. And uh, I'm going to be comparing this to... Super Castlevania 4 a little bit. Like Super Castlevania 4, this is the fourth game. It is the first game on the Super Nintendo, and it is sort of, in a way, a going back to the roots of Double Dragon, although this is more, maybe more like a, a going back to the roots of Double Dragon 2, since the original Double Dragon on the NES didn't have co-op. Nope. And this game does. Let's go into the Double Dragon story. Find out where we are in the Double Dragon mythos up to this point, because the game is not interested in telling you. No, it is not. So the first game, at least on the NES, has protagonist Billy, Billy Lee, that is, uh, going after the Black Dragons gang in a post-nuclear war-torn New York City. The Black Dragons have kidnapped Billy's girlfriend, Marion, so he, and in the arcade game at least, his brother Jimmy Lee, fight their way through the gang's ranks to get her back. Because the NES game wasn't able to handle two-player co-op, Jimmy actually ended up being the antagonist instead of your partner, which made the story a little bit different. In the arcade version, wasn't the whole thing that uh, basically, like, at the end of the game, you know, if you were doing two-player co-op, you fought your way through, you fought the last boss, and then the two brothers had to fight each other, like, sort of a one-on-one fighting game match to... I guess decide who got to date Marion. That seems weird, but uh, yeah, in the, yeah. in the NES game, they just changed it so that oh, plot twist: uh, Jimmy was the leader of the Black Dragon Gang all along. So yeah, yeah. So maybe there's some just weird rivalry going on between these two brothers about who gets to date Marion, and uh, yeah, it, it is very strange. But uh, let's just say this this franchise has never handled Marion all that well no uh, not really. uh, in, but, but in any case you know i guess the brothers make up and marion is is safe at home until the start of the second game where they up the stakes by straight up murdering marion uh the gang is just like yeah we kidnapped her last time this time we're just gonna freaking kill her uh which i believe that is why it's called double dragon to the revenge right well i mean you know it's it's, it's kind of like two-way revenge like the shadow warriors are getting revenge on the leaves by killing their girlfriend and the brothers now have to get revenge on the gang for murdering her. So, you know, everybody's getting their revenge today, I guess. That's great. So, uh, Billy and Jimmy, they get their, uh, their revenge there. And then by the third game, which, uh, on the arcade and, uh, NES are completely different games by this point. The brothers, Billy and Jimmy or Bimmy and Jimmy is the opening yeah. <laughs> text in the NES game, uh, famously states, are uh, going after stones or something. Also, Marion's been kidnapped again. And also, it's established at some point that Marion is their martial arts student. Maybe the Lees are really bad karate instructors. Okay. This is, that's, this is that's part of the good. problem. If they were okay. better karate instructors, Marion wouldn't keep getting kidnapped or and or killed. I think she gets – they reveal at the end of the second game that she wasn't actually killed, right? Right. Well, she gets better in the second game, but okay. only on the NES. Oh, okay. Got it, got it, got it. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot to mention, she gets better. I read too many comic books, so I just take that as a given, I yeah, guess. Yeah, sure, but. sure. <laughs>
now we're at uh, Double Dragon 4, or Super Double Dragon, and the story of this game is, um, well... It doesn't really have one. Don't worry about it. That's the story, basically. Uh, Though apparently there is one. Yeah, so like all the previous games on the NES used a combination of text and still drawings and sprite-based cutscenes to tell their stories. Super Double Dragon does not do any of that. There's no exposition, no cutscenes between stages. Okay, we're going to go into spoiler territory here. If you beat the final boss, the only thing we find out is that the brothers were never seen again (laughs) after they defeated Duke. They don't explain who Duke was, but yeah, but apparently there were cutscenes intended for the game that uh, actually got cut. So they are cut cutscenes, I guess. We'll talk a little more about this in a minute, but that, that is one of the many things that, that leads me to feel like this game just does not feel that finished, but yeah, go ahead and explain who Duke was. Well, uh, apparently Duke was a childhood friend of the two brothers or perhaps trained with them and then took an evil path somewhere along the, the way and became a, bad guy tm all right that's pretty much it okay and then at the end of the game the two brothers uh presumably shamed over how badly their hollywood movie adaptation came out just walk off into the sunset (laughs) and are never seen again There's not really a ton to say about this game other than that I do think it feels weirdly unfinished. Like, it's it's very basic. There's no story, as we've said. There's no real transitions between areas. So just to go back a little bit, because I don't guess we said this. If you're not familiar with Double Dragon, which we've been talking about for the last, like, <laughs> right. 10 minutes or whatever, it's a belt scroller brawler, like we yep. discussed a couple of weeks ago, where you walk left and right with a little bit of a depth to the field. Um, and you beat up guys, you generally have to beat up a bunch of guys with either Billy in single player or Billy and Jimmy in two player co-op and then move on. There's weapons you can pick up and uh, little environmental hazards that you can use to hit people with, uh, you know, trash cans and things you can pick up. You know, it's in the same genre as Final Fight or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time, or Rival Turf, all games we've talked about before. Double Dragon goes back further than any of those, I guess, but this does not really evidence any kind of evolution as, you know, sort of demonstrated by those other games. Uh, having been taken into this series. There's just not much happening here aside from the basic gameplay. And I would be more willing to kind of like cut this some slack for that uh, if this game had come out closer to when the system launched. But this game came out a year, more than a year after the system was on the market. So I feel like they should have had time to fill this out or at least keep those cutscenes that you talked about. Yeah, it's it's really strange. This game just title screen, game starts up, you're beating up guys, and then you just keep doing that, basically, for the entirety of the rest of the game. I don't think this is a bad game. I think this is not a fun game if you're playing single player. And I haven't tested this out, but it seems like they don't give you less enemies to fight when you're playing single player. No. And it's really easy to get surrounded and just kind of get tossed back and forth between yes. two or more guys, and there's not a whole lot you can really do about it. I would found myself like getting stun-locked a lot. For sure, me too. And if you have a second person, then the other person can help you out. But yeah, if you're playing it by yourself not so much 
so you you mentioned before that that you kind of thought about this game in relation to Super Castlevania 4. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so when we talked about Super Castlevania 4, I mentioned that it felt like a game that was doing a whole lot more than it needed to to be a good SNES version of Castlevania. And when I said that, you know, I, I didn't really have like a particular game in mind to compare it to. But this is what I'm talking about when I say like something doing just the bare minimum to be the thing it's trying to be. Yeah. This is like the bare minimum they needed to do to say, hey, this is recognizably a double dragon game for the SNES get it out the door. As far as its technical chops go, I think it plays reasonably well. The controls feel good. You know, I never felt like I was being asked to do stuff by the controls that the game just wasn't really up for. At least in the the parts that I was able to play, there wasn't a lot of the notoriously bad platforming that the the NES Double Dragon games have. There's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that, but it's not crazy. It's not all over the place. It looks relatively nice. The animations are decent. The character sprites are certainly bigger and more detailed than they were on the NES. But overall, it feels really slow to me. Like, it feels very choppy. It's almost just like it's kind of struggling to put everything on screen sometimes. You know, when we talked about Rival Turf, we talked about how that game felt like it was about to fall apart. Yeah. This definitely doesn't feel like that. It feels like everything is working as intended. It's just that there's not a ton to that. Graphically, it looks fine, but I don't know, it, it just didn't wow me the way the Castlevania's graphics did. No, I feel like it looks kind of dingy, actually. Like, nothing really pops. No, not at all. It definitely doesn't have any kind of wow factor, I wouldn't say. I mean, this game doesn't even really go in that much for the spectacle that you kind of expect for a brawler. Like, a lot of the levels are just you fighting the same few basic enemy types and then the level just ends like they're without like a boss or like a big set piece or anything i I don't feel like i I fought my first boss until pretty late into the game and the enemy characters a lot of them just aren't nearly as interesting or as cool looking you know like you don't have the abobo looking character coming out at you or anything like that the final boss of the game looks just like it's a regular old foot soldier really he's you know duke i guess his name is is not terribly impressive yeah, I just felt like for a Double Dragon game, I would have expected a lot more than this. And the bench for good brawlers, especially ones that feature two-player co-op, is pretty thin right now. And it's so true. It's, it's even more disappointing that this one just doesn't impress in a field where there's still a lot of room to put some really great games out there that are going to separate yeah. themselves from the crowd. And it, yeah, it's it's really disappointing this one doesn't do that. I can't really say too much else about this game. Uh, Music is pretty good. The music at least does sound good on the Super Nintendo with the Super Nintendo sound equipment. But otherwise, not really a ton to say. There's, It's kind of devoid of a lot of personality even. Like, I can't say that I had fun with the jank in the same way that I did with Rival Turf. But it's not bad. I definitely wouldn't say it's bad. It's just not much. A few other things, you know, before we call it for this one, I liked the weapons that you can pick up from enemies, but then there's also a strange meter system in which you hold L or R to charge it, but you can't do anything else besides like walk left and right. If you attack or jump or get hit, your bar drains and you have to do it all over again. It seems like you can do special attacks when you've got some charge in the bar. And then if you, 
manage to charge it up fully. Then you go into like a mode in which your attacks do more damage. But it was really an uninspired system. Why do I charge by just holding a thing? Like, why is it even yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. I used to just don't tell me... I didn't actually talk much about the history of the company. I got so caught up in the, oh, yeah, uh, in sure. the story. Sure, sure, sure. I will try to make this as fast as I can. So Double Dragon was created by Japanese developer Technos, which was founded in 1981 by three former Data East staff members. Uh, the company is primarily known for Double Dragon and the Nekutsu High School games, uh, starring a character named Kunio, likely named for one of the founders of Technos, uh, Kunio Taki. Uh, many of the Kunio games came out in America originally on the NES with a lot of their stories scrubbed out, therefore making a lot of the connective tissue between them non-existent other than a similar visual style. So some examples of that are uh, Renegade, Super Dodgeball, and River City Ransom. Yeah. Technos made a lot of games back in the 80s and 90s, but sadly went bankrupt in 1996. Their IP were acquired by a company called Million, who continued to produce games based on those licenses. As of 2015, however, Arc System Works now owns all of the Technos IP. That's a, a brief history of Technos uh, condensed for the fact that we went on a few tangents here today. <laughs> uh, well, what do you say we we kick it over to the list and see where we want to put Super Double Dragon down? Let's see here. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm going to look at some of the brawlers we've got here. So we got Final Fight, yep. which, you know, I, I don't think anybody listening needs us to remind them what our big beef with that game is and why it's at number 40. Yeah. Does the fact that this game actually features two-player co-op put it above Final Fight? I don't know. It's nice that it has the two-player co-op, and that definitely does make it more fun. But I still think that Final Fight is, I don't know, a, a better put together whole package than this, even without that. Yeah, I mean, this game definitely doesn't have like, you know, for as janky as Rival Turf is, this game isn't as fascinating or as charming as that game is. So no. I, I kind of don't want to put it above that at 33. So, but yeah, I, I could see it going below Final Fight at 40 as well. Yeah, I mean, it's fine for what it is, but it's really not doing very much. I think inevitably it, it is more fun when you have two people playing it. But at the same time, it's way less fun than Final Fight if you've only got the one person. Yeah, I'll be honest. I think this one drops even a few more spots than that. I, where do you think the floor is for this one? I think the floor for this one is probably... I mean, it might be Arcana. I think Arcana is probably is probably the floor for me on this one. What do you think? That is exactly what I was thinking the floor for this one is, to be honest with you. Okay. Having said that, I think this one belongs right above Arcana. I don't know if I like this as much as Krusty Super Funhouse at uh, you know, 46. I can go with that. I can definitely go with that. So I guess this is going to be our new 47? New 47. Yeah. So Super Double Dragon. I mean, you know... We are getting very close to 100 games on this list. Yeah, I mean, it's in the top 50 still. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, now we got that out of the way, I guess it's on to uh, our next super game. All right. What do we got? We started with some Super Brothers, and now we've got two other Super Brothers, so two very famous video game brothers. Ooh. You know who they are. The Super Buster Brothers, of course. Oh, yeah. I don't know what other video game brothers uh, 
anyone could possibly think I'm talking about. I can't think of anything, honestly. So Super Buster Brothers. This is a game I'd, I'd never actually played before. No, me either. This is the second game, I believe, in the Buster Brothers series, although it's a little bit hard to tell because this game has a lot of different names. Uh, in Japan, it is mostly called Pang, P-A-N-G, exclamation point. That's just supposed to be kind of like an onomatopoeia, right? For like the sound of like a balloon popping. I believe so. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what they're going for there. Which I'm guessing like in Japan, it's probably actually called like Pangu or something like that or or Uh Pangu Pangu something. Yeah. So this is an adaptation of the arcade game Pangu 2. And you know what? I think this game is pretty gosh darn fun. All right. You know, there's there's not a lot to it. You know, it's it's what you might call an action puzzle game. I'm I'm not entirely sure. I think that's right. I think that's a good enough term for it. Single screen. You do move a character around that performs, you know, kind of action moves. Yeah, I I, kind of think of it as, you know, sort of sharing a, a same space as like a bubble bobble or a burger time where you're confined to one screen, moving a character like a 2D platformer, and progression is based on completing a task rather than getting to the end of a level. It's an interesting setup. It doesn't immediately remind me of anything else, honestly. So in this game, you play as a young kid or two-player co-op play as two young kids who are armed with harpoon guns and are bursting bubbles that are bouncing around the screen. And anytime you burst a large bubble, it splits into two bubbles. And that keeps happening until the bubble is at its smallest size, in which case popping it just makes it disappear. The objective is to completely clear the screen of all of the bubbles before the bubbles touch you, in which case they kill you because they are evil acid bubbles, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they are actually much more dangerous than like the the little guys made of fire or the dinosaurs or the other things that appear in the levels that you have to take care of as well. Watch out, people. Bubbles kill. Bubbles. Not even once. I found it fascinating how much they varied up the formula, made the most out of this very simple idea. There are a ton of levels in this game because, uh, as I found out uh, on repeated playthroughs, adjusting the difficulty doesn't just make the game harder. It actually gives you a completely different set of levels. Oh, that's cool. That's uh, that's really cool. Yeah, so there are, there's a lot of levels in this game, it turns out. Yeah, and the levels feature things like, as I mentioned, kind of incidental monsters and also ladders, unbreakable blocks that the bubbles have to bounce around and that you have to kind of figure into things when you're trying to figure out how to get to the bubbles to burst them. Power-ups that change the weapon that you have and the things that can uh, stop time so that the bubbles stop moving for a few minutes. Uh, There's shields. Yeah, or slow down. Yeah, or or slow them down. Yeah, Uh, there's a lot of different little variations that can happen in the levels due to all these things. So. We should probably talk about where this game comes from and who made it before we talk uh, you know, too much more about the game itself. Do you want to go ahead and, and give us a little bit of a rundown? Yeah, so I thought this would be a good time to talk about Capcom in general, because a lot of the Capcom franchises that we're going to talk about on this show are storied enough to be worth their own histories in their own right. But um, this one doesn't quite have the same kind of history that, say, a Mega Man or a Super Ghouls and Ghosts has. So I'm just going to talk about Capcom here. This is a Capcom arcade game, or based on a Capcom arcade game, which means it starts with that fun jingle. You know the one. That's the one. I love it. Oh, me too. Every time. This is a, a, another cool opportunity because 
Capcom is a company that is still with us, and that is a rare thing on this show. Yeah. So a lot of the information that I am going to be presenting to you about the company actually comes from their own website, getting the information from the horse's mouth, as it were. So this is what they had to say. Uh, Capcom, as we know it today, starts out with the creation of a company called IRM Corporation, founded in 1979 in Matsubara, Osaka. IRM was started with the goal of developing electronic game machines. They uh, created a subsidiary company called Capsule Computer in 1981. You might already be seeing where the name Capcom comes from. (laughs) Uh, Later in the year, the company would be renamed to Zombie. But uh, in June of 1983, Capcom Company was established to take over the internal sales for Zombie. And this would all get merged together by 1989, creating the Capcom company as we know it today. Their first product was actually released in July of 1983. It was a coin-op game of some kind called Little League, which obviously has some kind of baseball theme. Uh, Unfortunately, Capcom's website does not go into the specifics of how this game actually operated or what it really was. All they have is a low-res image of the game or of the machine and what it looked like. I scoured the internet trying to find more information about this game, but any time it came up, the only thing anybody would say about it were like the same two sentences that are on Capcom's Wikipedia page about them, that they existed mostly. So uh, I could not find out anything more specific. So I don't know if it was like some kind of vending machine, a pachinko game, or or what it was. Similarly, uh, a game called Fever Chance also released a few months after Little League, and it has almost an identical form factor based on the, again, low-res image that I found on Capcom's website. You know, like Little League, don't know how it actually played. Maybe somebody out there has more information on them. Hey, if you do, uh, drop me a line on Twitter, because I'd be really interested to know what the heck these things were. These are old, like, kind of electronic game, like, pre-video game electronic arcade machines are a weird kind of black hole in, I think, a lot of a lot of people's knowledge of kind of the history of the medium. And it's always, I, I always find it really interesting to hear about this stuff, because a lot of these companies that were around in those days were making those either concurrently with video games or before before they did video games. In 1984, Capcom releases their first proper arcade game. Uh, This was a vertical scrolling shooter called Volgus. They also had a few other games come out that year, an early running gun platformer called Sansan, which was kind of based on the Journey to the West, a top-down maze chase-like game called Pirate Ship Higemaru, and probably the most well-known over here anyway, World War II-themed scrolling shooter 1942. Uh, 1942 would also be Capcom's first home port of a game, and in fact, their first home console game, when they released that on the NES in 1985, although uh, we don't need to talk too much about that one, other than to say that port was not very good. No, uh, originally, right, uh, Capcom did not actually make their own home game ports of things. They farmed those out to the infamously bad developer Micronics. Uh, and so, yeah, it took a little while before they realized that, that they should probably be making up much higher quality product, like in-house and actually dedicated teams to doing, you know, their own home versions of things. And that's why there's such a huge gulf in quality between things like that 1942 port or infamously terrible, uh, Ghosts and Goblins port. And then things that are beloved classics like the Mega Man series or Bionic Commando. 
Micronics, folks, not even once. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Another interesting thing about some of Capcom's early work is that we did see Sansan represented in Marvel vs. Capcom 2 as an original character who was meant to be the original Sansan's granddaughter, I believe. Again, kind of based on the, the Monkey King character from Journey to the West. And while not a direct reference regarding the original character Ruby Hart from Marvel vs. Capcom 2, who is presented as an air pirate in those games. I have found out that there are supplemental materials where they talk about her relatives, and all of her relatives are sort of named after characters from Pirate Ship Higemaru, which oh, I that's think fun. is meant to be more of an Easter egg than a direct reference. But Yeah, no, that's cool, though. That's neat. Before we get back into the game, I'm just going to run down some other classic Capcom franchises, because obviously Capcom is, is maybe one of the most storied video game companies in the history of the medium. So that was uh, 1984 that we talked about. 1985 saw the first release of Ghosts and Goblins. 87, release of Street Fighter. First Mega Man game also came out in 87 on the NES. Final Fight in 89. Street Fighter 2 in 1991, which I'm trying not to do too many sequels, but come on, it's Street <laughs> Fighter 2. I gotta. Uh, Resident Evil in 1996. Devil May Cry in 2001. Also Phoenix Wright in 2001. Monster Hunter in 2004. Dead Rising in 2006. Just a ton of classic franchises, many of which still see releases to this yep, day. Still going strong. One of the few that not only is hanging in there, but really thriving in the in the modern era as as well. So, uh, you know, good for them. Yeah, they've definitely had their their ups and downs, but right now it seems like they're they're doing all right. Also, Capcom, please bring Breath of Fire back, I beg you. But anyway, regardless, okay. <laughs> the thing about developer publisher that's been around for as long as Capcom is there's always a chance for you to find something that you've just never really heard of before, and that is definitely what Super Buster Brothers is for me cuz I have never seen this series. I don't think I've ever really heard of it. That's fascinating. That's really cool. And you can see a lot of that Capcom sort of house style in this, you know, big expressive, very anime looking sprites, good music. Everything's really bright and colorful and well animated. And they do really do a lot to make these different levels, even though they're all using kind of the same basic screen setup, pop in different ways. So it doesn't feel repetitive. I remember a level that stands out to me is one in which you've got one large bubble kind of bouncing around a room and all of the blocks kind of encasing the top are breakable. And outside of that are a bunch of little bubbles. So you can kind of break up the big bubble at your leisure and, and just kind of take it out. But if you miss a shot with it, you're likely to break the ceiling and cause a lot of those little balls to start coming down at you. And that's going to make everything a lot harder. So I, I found that design pretty interesting. Like I, as soon as I saw what they were doing, I was like, oh, this is this is neat. I like this idea. You know, the power ups are a lot of fun. There's the double harpoon, which lets you shoot two harpoons at a time. The thing about this game is that there's pretty good length on the harpoon. It has like a little wire that sort of follows it. And if the balloon comes in contact or bubble, I guess I've been calling them all sorts of things. Sorry. When it collides with any part of that, that's going to cause it to break up or burst, depending on the size of the ball, bubble, balloon, whatever. You can only have one harpoon on the screen at a time. And it does take a little bit for the harpoon to travel. So you need to aim your shots pretty precisely so that you don't waste any precious time with a harpoon on screen, not being able to defend yourself against oncoming bubbles. But the double harpoon lets you have two at a time, which can help out a lot. 
There's a grappling hook, which I actually found more of a hindrance than anything else. And uh, there's also a squirt gun, which just shoots like three in a spread. And that just annihilates things, but also it doesn't show up all that often. But boy, was it fun to use when you found it. (laughs) Uh And you always fire directly up. One thing that I found to be a solid strategy was firing the harpoon and then moving to the other side of it so that you're not in danger from anything that is coming in to hit the, the harpoon from the other side. It's kind of clever how the game allows you to sort of play with space because you do have to think ahead a little bit to make sure that you're getting as many of the bubbles as you can and that you're keeping your character out of harm's way. There's nothing else. I'm ready to head over to the list and right. see where this one might go. I'm looking around. Unfortunately, I, I can't really think of a lot of like good puzzle platformers that I would compare this one to. Not really. There's not a ton of direct comparison on the system so far. Where did Krusty's Funhouse land on this one? Well, we were just looking at that one a little bit, actually. That one ended up at 46. And we just put Super Double Dragon, a game that oh, right. neither of us thought that highly of right behind it. So Krusty Super Fun House is probably a good starting place to talk about this one. But obviously, I would I would say this should go higher. Yeah, me too. And I guess we could sort of put it in the similar company as like Super Smash TV and Rampart. Um, mm, yeah. You know, g- gameplay wise. But again, I think this is a much better game than either of those. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly as a port, it, it has survived the transition so much better than Super Smash TV did. I think it's a very well-suited game to the Super Nintendo. What about Spanky's Quest? Spanky's Quest, I think, is probably the most direct comparison I can make to anything on this list right now. Yeah, I think you're right. And that is, hmm, that's a a tough call, actually. Here's where I'm at. Okay. Personally, for me, I found Spanky's Quest more fun for me to play, but I think that has something to do with the way my brain conceives of space and of how, like, Spanky's Quest was sort of a a little bit more familiar to me in how it played Mm -hmm. than Super Buster Brothers, but... I don't know that I actually think that Spanky's Quest was quite as creative of a game as Buster Brothers. Well, you know, that's interesting because I I think I liked the way Buster Brothers plays better, but I think Spanky's Quest has a lot more going on in terms of like production and just mm-hmm. kind of creativity and, and okay. So we're kind like of that. in opposite places on this. That's interesting. Yeah, okay. All right. Huh. That is interesting. I don't know what to do with that, then. <laughs> I think I kind of feel like I'm leaning towards putting this below Spanky's Quest. Okay. I mean, that would be my impulse as well, just because I do think that the puzzly twist on platforming that Spanky's Quest did was maybe just a little bit more elegantly put together than what Super Buster Brothers is doing. I wouldn't disagree with you there. I, I think my thinking gameplay-wise is just, Super Buster Brothers was just more satisfying to me. Uh-huh. But I definitely wouldn't argue that... I, I think there was a lot more design and care put into Spanky's Quest than maybe Super Buster Brothers. So do you think that Super Buster Brothers goes right below Spanky's Quest then? The next game down from that that we have on the list right now is NCAA Basketball. I would say I would rather play Super Buster Brothers than than NCAA Basketball. And this is definitely going to come down to personal taste because neither yeah. of us are sports people. Um, yeah. But I mean, I will say, you know, like 
we put NCAA basketball as high as we did because we were pretty impressed by it. But we were, yeah. Ultimately, yeah, I would I would rather play this than play NCAA basketball. All right. So uh, is that what we're looking at then? A new number 23 Super Buster Brothers? I think so. All right. That's a pretty good showing for Super Buster Brothers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really did like that game a lot. Yeah. So it, it, I'm not too surprised. Well, in any case, we had one game crack the top 50. We've had one game crack the top 25. Let's see if we can keep that streak going with uh oh no wait it's it's super batter up it's a baseball game ah dang you want to go into the history of this before we talk about the game at all uh because it is a baseball game and uh it is not i'm gonna say right off the top going to have a ton of surprises for us. No, this is, uh, again, not going to be the baseball game that sells us on the idea that video baseball on the SNES can be fun. But uh, <sighs> anyway, um, this one does have kind of an interesting history, though, because it's a history that starts with RBI baseball on the NES. Uh, if you are a fan of RBI baseball and played this game, you will probably immediately recognize the music. Uh, I actually did because I uh, had RBI baseball back in the day on my NES. So there's a reason for that. Both of these games are derived from entries in the Family Stadium series of games that came out in Japan. In fact, RBI baseball is actually a localization of the very first one of those games. This was uh, originally developed, published by Namco in Japan. The game was called Family Stadium, like I said, and it would be a very long-lived series in Japan, actually. The last Family Stadium game was published in 2018 on the Nintendo Switch. Wow, that's so recent. Which is weird, because we have not seen very many of them actually make the jump over here. Uh, We saw it come over as RBI Baseball. We're now seeing it come over as Super Batter Up, and we saw another one come out on Game Boy, Uh, I forget the name of that one, but those are actually the only three Family Stadium games that made the leap to America as a different game. Um, None of the rest of them left Japan. That's strange because we actually got a lot of RBI baseball games, and I just assumed that all of the RBI baseballs were reskins of other Family Stadium games, but that was not the case. So basically when... Tengen ported RBI Baseball onto the NES. Family Stadium kind of kept going one way, and RBI Baseball took a completely different path. It's kind of like the situation with Wonder Boy and Adventure Island. Yeah, yeah. Two divergent evolutionary paths coming from a single game. Uh, You might have heard me mention the company Tengen, who I'm going to talk about a little bit here, because their story is very fascinating. Most people probably know Tengen as the company that made a bunch of unlicensed games on the NES that came in those weird-looking matte black cartridges. Tengen was actually just another label for Atari games, which, uh, you know, wasn't uncommon on the NES. A lot of companies would set up other company names and whatnot to get around Nintendo's restrictive licensing agreement. But with Atari, this was actually a slightly different situation. Atari, by this point... Uh, in 1984, had been split into two different companies. There was Atari Games, which was now a subsidiary of Namco, and they could not actually use the Atari name on home console or computer games. That was a privilege reserved for the other Atari (laughs) that was out there. So they came up with the name Tengen, which, like the name Atari, is based on a term from the Japanese board game Go. Okay. Atari is sort of like uh, the equivalent of check or checkmate in chess. Tengen is actually a word that refers to the very center of the board. I did not know that. That's interesting. Which also explains their little graphic that Tengen had for their logo.
So Tengen released its first run of games, which were RBI Baseball, Pac-Man, and Gauntlet, under license by Nintendo. So uh, that's why you'll actually see regular licensed Nintendo cartridges of those three games floating around. But they wanted to try and negotiate a better deal with the company after their first run, but Nintendo was not willing to... uh, play ball, if you'll pardon the pun. <laughs> so they went rogue, and they managed to circumvent the NES's lockout chip to release their own games without Nintendo's license. And this resulted in a lot of lawsuits. I'm not going to go too much into that, though if you are interested in more about the history of Tengen, go to YouTube and check out the Gaming Historians video on Tengen. He's got a lot of information there, and it's uh, really fascinating, and it's just a cool channel anyway. I, I get a lot of interesting information there, so... Tengen would continue developing games in the RBI Baseball series on the NES, Sega Genesis, and even one on the Super NES under license by that point, and we will get to that one much further off down the road. That brings us back to Family Stadium, which would keep chugging along in Japan, uh, releasing yearly iterations on the NES from 86 to 93, very late into the NES's lifespan by that point, while also releasing on other systems like the MSX, the Super Famicom, and Game Boy. And uh, yeah, so that brings us to Super Batter Up, which, like RBA Baseball before it, uh, does not have an MLB license, but does have the license of the Players Association, meaning that the names of players in the game correspond to real players who would have been playing in Major League Baseball during that season. Yeah, my first inning playing this, I got my clock cleaned by Cal Ripken over and over and over again. Uh, That dude just kept hitting home runs. Well, you know, I'll be honest, like really had a lot of trouble getting anything other than hits by the the batters when I was pitching. I just I didn't feel like this game had a lot of options as far as pitches go. I could either throw it outside of the batter's box to get a ball or I could throw it in the batter's box and the player would almost certainly hit it. Pretty much. Uh, Yeah, very few options there. There's not really a lot to the baseball simulation in this game i'm I'm willing to say i felt like no matter what i did every match kind of ended up going kind of the same way i just didn't really feel like there was much to this yeah i kind of felt the same way and i wanted to look up to see you know maybe this is sort of a blazion situation yeah sure there's more depth to the game i just needed to know what the controls were but i could not find an instruction manual and nobody has bothered to write a fact about this one on game facts so i couldn't find any other info about it Yeah, I think this one kind of slipped through the cracks, honestly, as just being like one of many baseball games on the system and not one that really has anything special or unusual to recommend it, as far as I can tell. So it kind of makes sense to me that like there's just not a lot of info out there about this game, unfortunately. I am really struggling to come up with anything to say about this one, honestly. Like, it plays... Basically, like most of the baseball games we've played for the Super Nintendo so far, you know, you have the same kind of perspective for the batter's box. There's a overhead field with not very detailed, almost like stick figure characters for, you know, anything that involves the actual field itself. Whenever somebody hits a home run, Pac-Man flies by on a rocket. That's kind of fun. Otherwise, not really too much happening here. Yeah, it's... um. It's another one of these, and I definitely had more fun doing the research on this one than I did actually playing the game, so... Yeah. Guys, does baseball ever become fun on the Super Nintendo? Yeah, right? Anybody anybody who actually played these games back in the day, does baseball ever become fun? Like, every other sport, I think we've had more nice things to say about than baseball up to this point. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And it's just a problem that, like, maybe there's just not really 
that many different ways you can present baseball with the technology of the time. Because the one thing, the one time we did see somebody try to do something really different with it, what was it called? The the one that had uh, Super Baseball Simulator One Thousand. No, 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 no. Uh, the one that had the really poorly thought out, like different camera angles for the different parts of the field. Roger Clemens was that Roger Clemens? Oh God, that. It might have been. Oh, they're, they're all starting to run together so much. That didn't work at all. Like, that was bad. Yeah. So maybe this is kind of the best way to do it with the technology of the time until somebody comes up with, you know, kind of a very different approach to the sport here. But either way, yeah, there's not really anything that distinguishes this one, aside from the fact that I genuinely can't see how you could win this against the computer. It hits pretty reliably every time it's hard enough with the degree to which it's zoomed out which is somewhat far but not completely so that you can see the whole field i found it very hard to get my outfielders into position to catch the ball you know the controls are straightforward i'll give it that i didn't have a lot of trouble figuring out how to make the players do what I wanted them to do, but there wasn't really anything distinctive about this game, either graphically, sound-wise, or control-wise. There's not a ton of options for how to play. Like, you know, there's a single game and a league mode. It's nice, I guess, that it does have the the names from the Players Association, but there's not really any personality to the players, so that doesn't really mean that much. I'm really struggling to... I, I don't want to just, you know, disregard an entire genre or subgenre of games but i really am sort of out of things to say about this kind of baseball game at this point i i don't know what else to say either i mean i i don't think this one has say like the personality of an extra innings which still stands out because of the the silly chibi looking players yeah you know like I, i'm gonna have a problem ranking this one just because like once we get past extra innings like they're they're all just clumping together for me like i do not remember <laughs> anything distinctive say about like nolan ryan's baseball as opposed to super basis loaded you know what i'm saying other than i think super basis loaded was the one that where the baseball diamond is flipped from what you would normally assume so like home plates on top and second bases on the bottom this is better than that you know yeah the game is more readable than that yeah i would probably advocate for putting this right above super bases loaded because you're right uh, it is more readable than that but it really just doesn't have much of anything else going on in it uh what do you think i don't remember enough about jack nicholas golf either to say whether or not it's better or worse than that i, I think jack nicholas golf was like the maybe like the most underwhelming golf game that we yeah. played because i think we we liked stuff about the true golf classic series yeah and i was really impressed by the pga game there's a few golf games that have really stood out the true golf classics pga and Hal's Hole-in-One all had genuinely good things to recommend them. There's definitely a degree of distance between those and Jack Nicholas Golf. But yeah, I also don't really remember a ton about Jack Nicholas Golf. I would say odds are just because golf has got such a better track record than baseball on the system at this point that it's Jack Nicholas Golf is probably better than this. I'd be okay with just putting this between Jack Nicholas and Super Bases Loaded. So I guess right. Jack Nicholas and Ryan Sandberg. Super Bases Loaded was the one that had like the the endorsement from Ryan Sandberg it, on it the cover. Was. Yeah? It okay. was. That's correct. All right. So Super Batter Up, you're our new number 70. So hey, top 75 for you, I guess. Yeah, that's something of an achievement. Yeah. Good job, you. You sure were another baseball game. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, we are done for today, and we are only two games away from 100, and we're going to have something special after we get 100 games on this list, I think. All right. Um, I don't, I don't want to say too much yet, but 
I am trying to line up some stuff so that we'll have a, a big old fun special for our, our 100 game show. Right. Well, that that's very exciting. The next episode will just be a normal episode, although we're only going to talk about two games next time, just so that we get that nice, clean 100. And those two games are, oh, hey, one I'm looking forward to, Space Megaforce. Yeah. And Cubert 3, strangely enough. Oh, baby, he's back. It's a really weird one to have as our number 100. Yeah, what, but, a, what uh, an auspicious game. That's That's... Sometimes it just works out like that, where it's just, you know, you reach a big milestone and the thing you do it with is Cubert 3 somehow. So, yeah, I uh, look forward to that, folks. We'll see you next uh, next time for our, our big centennial episode. Well, well that, that'll be after. That'll be after. That's going to be its own episode. It's just just our big celebration. Yeah. Yes, that's that's true. That's true. So, uh, But the episode where we reach 100 games, that will be next time. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you all are too. Yeah, so until that time, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. Thanks for listening and play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoax, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoax.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. Folks, you should watch that movie. Yeah, yeah, even if you don't have a lot of time for kind of mediocre video game movies, that one is really really hilariously bad i mean like is it more or less hilariously bad than mortal Kombat annihilation i mean it's less bad but it's more fun you know like it's it's not good uh but it does have the guy who played the chairman on iron chef america <laughs> yes. as one of the brothers <laughs> so that's good and also uh uh robert patrick uh, you know, the T-1000, uh, he's right. the bad guy, and he's got, like, a really 90s, like, bleached high-top fade. Uh, it's really something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and also, uh, uh, Buzzcut Alyssa Milano is yes, uh, Marion, right. and that's she's right. not just being constantly kidnapped and killed in the movie, that's from true. what I remember. So That's true. She's some kind of, like, resistance fighter or something. S- something like that, yeah. Um, I don't know. She lives in a place that looks a lot like the, like, Foot Clan hideout from the first Ninja <laughs> Turtles movie, is all I remember, honestly. You know, like, a cool 90s skate park for kids that has arcade games in it. But it's not evil. It's It's where the good guys hang out in this one, so that's good. Right, yeah, the bad guys hang out in weird trash filled alleyways in which people with jackets painted to look like graffiti to match the wall, just stand facing a wall all day, waiting for people to come into their lair. And, and also that's right. A Bobo is there who looks kind of like Sean baby. Yeah. He's really strange. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Guys, but, uh, you guys, this podcast is canceled. We're just talking video game based movies. now. That's all we do do now. This is, um, this one, oh my god, we could rank we could rank the video game based movies and now I I, I want to do that pretty bad. Anyway, I guess at some point we should get back to talking about Super Double Dragon. Uh which <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately.